0: Right. if you turn in your copy of God's Word tonight to James chapter 1, James chapter 1, it's right after Genesis and right before Revelation, James chapter 1, there's three verses tonight, uh, this is a sermon, I don't have no earthly idea how old it is, I've kind of remodified it a little bit. But it uh, has to do with listening to the Word of God. How do we hear God's Word? It's um, applicable for any of us at any time. So maybe some good reminders here tonight about how to be able to listen to God's Word. James 1, verse 19. Uh, the first word, know, is a command. So know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, that's what we need to do, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive. The word receive is the main verb. Put away is not, but receive. The main thing we're to do here is to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, I may say it again later, but lest I forget, sometimes we miss things like this because we only think of salvation in the category of a lost person coming to know Christ. It's a good category, but there is more. When I teach the new members class, I talk about <clears throat> been, being, and be. So we've been saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. So there's an event that started this thing, we were justified, but now being saved is our sanctification, and be saved is going to be our state in glorification so the whole of salvation what are you doing over there you can't switch sides without okay he got here got here late because he's driving his chevy all right do what we're baptists we don't change what's how many baptists does it take to change the light bulb change but oh, anyways okay All right, so the whole process of salvation. So now if you go back to this verse and we put these other things away, we receive this implanted word which is able to save your soul. This idea has to do with as much as being saved, the whole sanctification process, the whole of salvation, the word is always necessary. All right, you stop by Brahms on Friday afternoon and nobody's around, and you got lots of money, and you get you a banana split, full deal, not the little two-scooper, but the three-scooper with all the stuff and all the trimmings loaded to the top. And you finish it off, and you think, ain't nobody here, and I have money, and nobody can tell me what to do. And so you order another one, and you eat another entire banana split. Your stomach, man, you feel like you're about to die, but sure was good. You get in your car and you pull out there in Lake Worth and you get on the main road and your buddy calls and says, Hey, stop over here at the Mexican hut over at the Mexican Inn and let's eat supper. Uh now, come on, man, come on. And you're like, you don't tell him what you just did. And you walk in the restaurant, and he goes, don't worry about nothing. I ordered us fajitas, and I got us some tamales, and I got us some sopapillas. I got everything, and they bring it out the table, and you're like, dude, I can't eat. I just can't eat. What do you mean you can't eat? I'm full. Now, <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with the fajitas. There's nothing wrong with the tamales, and there's nothing wrong with the sopapillas. They've all been prepared correctly. Smell is good, look is good, everything's fresh. No problem with the food, the problem is with you, because you're full, and you're not able to take it in. And Here's the sad part of it is, in that situation, you don't eat, you can't eat, and you kind of like, you know, you feel bad, and you leave, and you know what they do? They take all that food... They just throw it in the trash. They just throw it in the trash. And I think that's what happens a lot of times at church. Is we come and we're full when we come. Full of information. Full of the world. Full of ourselves. Nothing wrong with the sermon. Some guys could have preached it better perhaps. There's nothing wrong with the truth of it. Nothing wrong with the pages of scripture and the verses we've read tonight. But just can't take it in because I'm full. So it's served. It's laid out. And sadly, for a lot of us, it's just thrown in the trash, and it has no profit for our lives. In this text tonight, uh, I'm only doing the first three. I'll give you three things, but I'm only doing the first couple of verses. But hearing the Word is in 19 and 20. Receiving the Word is in verse 21. And then doing the Word is in 22 through 27. And we won't Get to that tonight. All right, let us look at this text. The first thing we see is that we are commanded to know something. Uh, it is actually the same word that we had in uh, John this morning uh, the word to know, that we know the truth. It's the same word, no, it's just in the command form. And we are commanded to have certain information. We're commanded to have certain knowledge. It's not a suggestion, it's not a, a novel idea. It's a command from God to the believer that you are to know something. Now, I would just say in the immediate context, I'm not going to make much of this, I'm just going to point it out, but i say in the immediate context, you must know that you should be quick to hear. You should know this. You should know that you should be slow to speak. You should know that you should be slow to anger, and you should know that the anger that arises from flesh that stirs and builds up over time because of offensiveness, that anger, however it comes out of you, will never produce the righteousness of God. It'll never happen. And you should know that you need to put things away. You need to put these things out. You have to make an active, conscious decision to do away with these things because, well, because it's commanded, but if you don't, then it gives you the inability to receive. If you don't empty out, put these away, then there's this barrier that prevents you from receiving this implanted word, which is able to bring about this salvation, this sanctification of your life. You can't be sanctified by the word unless you put these things to the side. You should know this. And I would say to you, just I think it's just a couple pages over, yeah, uh, in First Peter. Um, if you look over at chapter 1 of First Peter, uh, this is what should be the, I don't know, the foundation of the heart of this, of the believer. For you and I, I think it's a great word that we should uh, never forget. So in First Peter 1, verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Okay, that's not exactly what we're talking about. But verse 23, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of an imperishable. How did this happen? It's through the living and abiding word of God. All flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. And you'll see a similar thing. So, put away. See that in chapter 2, verse 1. Put away. Put away what? Put away malice. Put away deceit. Put away hypocrisy. Put away envy. Put away slander. Here's the position of the Christian. Like a newborn baby, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed, if this is true of you, That you have tasted that the Lord is good. In regards to my own personal life, I think about 14 years of seminary. I think about a few special conferences in my life that I was able to go to as an attendee rather than a speaker. And I would say this, not every seminary class was the same. Not every professor was the same. There's some professors I wondered if they were even saved In those classes, I usually showed up a little bit late, I sat in the back of the room, and I really didn't care what they were saying because I didn't believe most of what they were saying anyways. However, those professors that were godly, if you saw me in that room, you found me on the front row. Why was I on the front row? Because I didn't want anything to distract me. I wanted to catch everything that they were saying because I knew it was rich. There's certain conferences I've gone to, certain speakers that would preach, and in those conferences, you don't look for me, you'll find me on the front row. I'm not saying this, get you move a pew or get you move over there. That's not the idea here. The idea is, I'm just saying that when I have the opportunity to hear God's Word taught or preached, there's one thing I don't want is to be distracted. And if I'm on the front row, I can't see everybody else playing on their stupid phones. And so if I'm on the front row, I can just lock in and receive the implanted word that's able to save my soul. What I'm telling you is, is the word of God is worth preparation. It's worth setting my heart right that I'm hungry to hear. So we're commanded to know these things. Correct listening, verse 19, and following after this, know this, my beloved brothers. We find this phrase on correct listening. We find, let every person be quick to hear, and then we get two things we're to do slowly. Slow to speak and slow to anger. Now, I put these in the letter P for some reason, but preeminence, preeminence on this first one Every person be quick to hear. This is at the top of your list as the listener. You have a preeminent concern to have yourself ready to hear the Word of God. That's the main objective, the the main importance for you. This is what surpasses everything else. It's why I come to church is I want to hear a word from God. That's my main concern. If I come to your service and you don't preach out of the book, I'm done with your church. I came here, I got dressed, I got my family ready, I drove 45 miles, I got here, and I expect you to open the word, I am here to listen, I want God to speak to me, I need a word, tomorrow I've got to go to work, I've got to face all of these situations, and I need to hear from God, preacher, you better bring this book, I'm ready to hear, quick, bring it, I want every word, take a note, jot it down. I'm going to make sure I know that Brother John preaches Wednesday night. He says, what does he say? Bring the cloak, bring the books, bring the parchment, bring these things. I'm still thinking about it, 600 miles, i got to bring it. I'm hanging on this, I'm listening, I'm applying. These things are important. Quickly, very brief period of time, this Greek word, uh, takus, uh, refers to a very brief period of time with focus on the speed of activity. In just a moment, we're gone. When we get to next, uh, on Tuesday, we're going to land in Veracruz. And we're going to show up at Christmas. We're going to get up Wednesday morning, and we're going to drink coffee. We're going to have a devotion, and I'm going to say, hang on to everything because in about five minutes we're going to fly home. And you're like, what? And then Monday's going to hit, and you're like, it's over? It's just brief. We come to church, it's an hour, less than an hour, it's gone. In this moment, I want to be quick. I want to gather the information in because these are eternal things. They're important. Quick to hear, give careful attention to, to heed, to pay attention by listening, to hear and understand the message. Put it in a different context. You've got some problems going on with your body. Something's not right. And the word cancer's floating around in the mind. There's scans. And there's tests. There's doctor appointments and visits. There's words like chemo. There's words like radiation floating around. And there's a apprehension and a tension and a nervousness. And, and the doctor walks in the room and he says, okay, I've looked at the scan. And when he says he looked at the scan, he, the next thing he says is, what I need to tell you is... And then three people walk in the room, their phones are ringing, people are texting, and everybody starts shouting and yelling, what are you going to do? Hush! I need to hear what this doctor has to say about my life. Everybody be quiet because this is concerning my life. That's the way we ought to listen to the Word of God. Don't interfere. Don't distract me. God speaking through His Word, and I need this. That's what James is saying. So, preeminence that's our preeminent concern. Secondly, uh, on this, pondering. Pondering. So, quick to hear, or every person is quick to hear, and then slow to speak. A word is preached, and I've got to let it set with me a minute. I can't jump out of this, you know, this morning from John. I can't jump out of that and talk about your fishing boat. I can't jump into a bicycle conversation. I, I've got to let this sit for a moment. Let me be quiet for a minute. Yes, yeah, so One of the things I love on Sunday is everybody finally leaves. And I'm in my office by myself, and there's not a word. It's not a sound. I'm just trying to let it set while I ponder these truths that have been exposited this morning in order that they can refresh my soul. I, I love that. Maybe, maybe I stay 20 minutes. Maybe I stay 30. Maybe I stay an hour. Sometimes I stay all day. It's just that I need for these things to set. Tonight when I go home, I walk into my house, the suit's coming off, I put on a pair of shorts, I'm just going to sit down. It's going to be quiet. At least for a moment. For a little bit of time, it's going to be quiet. So I ponder. Let these things set. They're important. I need to think them through. I assure you, everything I preach tonight, it's not all that's here. So you need to ponder a bit and find everything God has for you. Pondering Webster's Dictionary to weigh in the mind, to deliberate about, to review mentally, to think about, or as I taught on Zoom for a couple hours this week on meditation all through Psalms and Proverbs and Timothy, to meditate Chew the cud, work it over in my mind. Slow, slow, he says. Slow to speak. Uh, not open my mouth so quickly. Um, and like he says in Ecclesiastes, don't be rash with your mouth. Well, let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. God's in heaven, you're on earth. Let, therefore, your words be few. Let take this in, uh, talking talking should be at the bottom of the list when it comes time to hear the word of the lord we should be prepared to listen we want to be distracted you know you say i i think you're pushing this a little far no i'm not Just turn on your favorite football game and let me know how it works. Let people walk back and forth in front of the TV. Let them stand in front of the TV and yell and holler and turn the volume down. And let's see you sit there in your recliner and say, well, it don't matter if I hear it or see it anyways. No, you're like, you better stop it. I kick you out of my house. You're interfering with my game. This is seriousness we take over the frivolities of worldly sports. But when it comes to church, let it be a zoo. I don't care. I'm not listening anyway. Preeminence, pondering, and then probing, to dig at this thing just a little bit and press it upon my own soul. Probing means to examine, to investigate thoroughly, to make an exploratory investigation, simply a Webster's Dictionary definition. And again, slow, slow to anger. That's odd. What does he say, slow to anger? I've got some ideas. First, let me quote a couple of things. Ecclesiastes, be not quick in your spirit to become angry. For anger lodges where? In the bosom of fools. Proverbs 16 says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Why does James say Slow to anger. Talk about the preeminence of listening. I've talked about slow to speak, where we can let these things weigh and sit in upon us. And then slow to anger. What is the issue with anger? Well, there were people that were angry when James said what he said. Many of these people have lost most everything. And James says, Have joy. And they don't set well when things are lost. Endure. Be wise. Be single-minded. Find comfort in the gospel. And it's people under his teaching that are having a hard time. It's like feeling conviction that they don't have comfort in the gospel because they're so upset about everything that happened, and it rubs them the wrong way. And they get a little bit angry because the prepared preacher gave them a truth that they didn't want to deal with. It makes them angry. Let me put it this way: Unprepared hearts are easily offended by prepared preachers who bring forth the word of truth with authority. It rubs them the wrong way, and they start building up some anger, like, who does he think he is? How can he say that? He don't know everything, and start getting angry. Unprepared hearts have little to no desire for spiritual things. And what they end up doing is only, they're able, only able to find joy in carnal things. Anger is the result of the elevation of self-righteousness. All right. Number three is verse 20. Verse 20 is confident flesh. Look there in verse 20. He continues this anger discussion. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. God's word is given. It rubs somebody the wrong way and they become angry. That anger is not going to bring them to righteousness. It's not going to happen. It won't work righteousness. It won't produce it. This word wrath, I know it has a lot of little different tentacles to it, but this word wrath strong displeasure emotional aspect however i think in this case and other cases it is it can but not here i don't think it's not referring to this explosive outburst such as when somebody cuts you off in traffic your wife says something and you just blurt out in anger some kind of response i don't think that's what it's doing but it's a a deep resentment that sees and smolders within the person, and it's often unnoticed by others. These things that are being taught and preached week after week after week are making me a little more angry and a little more angry and a little more angry. Nobody in the church knows because I just smile and shake your hand and say, How are you today? But it's just kind of building. What's going on here? This anger that's welling up within a soul is never. Going to produce the righteousness of God. Now I don't want to belabor it, but I've seen this so many times in this church. I, I lost count a long time ago. But people begin to be offended by the truth, and you just watch, and little things. This little thing, that little thing, and these little things start setting them off. And you're like, dude, why are you responding like that? But it's something that's building. Because they're not dealing with the truth that's being preached over time. It's mounting up anger in them. And what happens eventually? It eventually comes out. They lose their mind. They yell out all that they're going to yell. I remember the guy there in my office, and he just yelled everything out. He took my door, and he slammed it as hard as he could, and he walked out. He was done. That had built up. It didn't happen in two seconds. But these truths that were being taught, he wasn't on board with them. And the anger got to a point that he was done. The confident, prideful flesh is stirred to anger when the Word of God rubs someone the wrong way. The flesh, in opposition to the Word, kicks against it. When a man is stirred to wrath under the preaching of truth, it's actually just a revelation of what his heart condition is. Now, clarification of anger. What happens is the flesh usually seeks to attack the one who's angering them, whether it be the preacher, the Sunday school teacher, or somebody else. The flesh does something like this. It starts finding fault with everything outside of itself. You say, give me an example. Okay. Paul says it like this. Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Are we at war here because I keep telling you truth? That's what he asked the Galatians, and that's what happens. They're not listening properly. They're taking what is being said, it's offending them, it's building up anger, and now they're attacking Paul as an enemy. That's what happens. Doesn't this anger that wells up, I don't know if it's happening to any of you even now or at another time, but this anger that wells up, our text tells us in verse 20, it cannot, it will not produce righteousness of God. It can't bring about the result of righteousness. It can't achieve righteousness. Man in all of his anger, man in all of his wrath will never accomplish right standing with God. Can't do it. Righteousness will not be accomplished by the flesh in rebellion to the Word of God. The righteousness of God is not produced by fleshly anger, but rather by humility submitting under the Word. Now, I'm going to pull all that together, if you will. Three things that are implied in this verse under this phrase, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Number 1 it assumes all who are regenerate regenerated by the word of truth are obligated to promote the righteousness of God. You can't promote God's righteousness if you're offended by his truth to the point that you become angry about it. Secondly, it implies something. The man of wrath does not practice the righteousness of God, number three, it teaches us something: wrath never furthers the cause of right. That is from Curtis Vaughn, an old seminary professor, godly man, wrote some great commentaries, and it was a quote from him: "Wrath never f- furthers the cause of right." Okay, where does that leave us? Listening. Slow to speak, slow to wrath. Wrath doesn't complete the righteousness of God. So where does that leave us? It leaves us with verse 21. In this subject matter of listening to the word of God, being under the word of God. So we come to verse 21 and we get a call to humility. We find two important words. Put away is a participle and receive is the main verb. This participle proceeds. It comes before the main verb and strongly implies this. The harboring of sin causes the inability to receive. When I hold on to sin in my personal life, it gives me the inability to receive the implanted word. So the reason I'm not profiting from the preaching I'm not profiting from the teaching in Sunday school is not the problem of the teacher or the preacher per se. Actually, the problem is, is I've got these sin issues and I really don't want to talk about them and I want to deal with them and I'm surely not going to repent because that takes too much humility and so then you're stuck going through the motions of church and never rejoicing over the spiritual work that's going on under the preaching of the Word of God. One will not receive that which he is opposed to. Or to quote an unfamous, unknown theologian, Pastor Randall, quote, to harbor sin is to deny the ship of God's Word to come to the port of your heart. To put away To put off, he says this in our verse. Put away, therefore, put away. Apatithemi, to put off, to lay aside, to take off, rid oneself of something. Cast off works of darkness, this type of thing. I'll just buzz through these very quickly, just short phrases. These are all just verses uh, that we could pull from the Bible for this word. Cast off works of darkness. Put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. Put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth. Put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And in our text, two things are to be put away cast off, rid yourself of these two things, filthiness and evil, filthiness and evil. Put away all filthiness, and the ESV translates the Greek word as rampant wickedness. Greek word is evil, filthiness, a state of moral defilement or corruption, moral uncleanness, vulgarity. If you want it to be a little more graphic, it's like having wax in your ear and you can't hear. You've got to get the wax out in order that you can hear better. You've got to get rid of the filthiness. I'm mean, will give you a long list of Baptist sins, but what's filthy? What is it that stains our conscience? What is it that pollutes our minds? I don't think it takes very much intelligence to figure this stuff out. What is it that distracts you from that which is godly? What is the filth that distracts you from this book? What is the filth that keeps you from memorizing memory passages? What's the filth that keeps you from reading through your Bible every year? What's the filth that keeps you from meditating upon this book? What's the filth? It's different for every one of us. You you discover what the filth is that prevents you from finding all the treasure that's here and get rid of it. Do away with it. Send it off, cut it off, burn it, trash it, be like an axe. These books are filth. Burn them all, burn them for the glory of God. Get rid of it. This is what he's saying here. Whatever it is, get rid of it. Filthiness. The other thing is evil quality or state of wickedness, baseness, depravity, vice, especially in regards to. Intent, deliberate sin. The inner and external sins are to be abandoned the house is to be swept and the house is to be clean. It's for every one of us, the preacher as well as you. I have to clean my house. I have to repent. I have to be honest with God. These are the things in my life that are wrong. I've sinned against you, God. I've transgressed your law. Please have mercy on me. I have to clean myself for communion. I have to clean myself for Sunday morning. I have to come before the Lord and say, please forgive me. I blew it. I need this stuff washed out of my system in order that I can hear the pure, unadulterated Word of God that benefits my soul. And then in a large hole, no, hardly anyone prepares for church like this. When's the last time you got up on Sunday morning and you got on your knees and said, God, I've got to get my heart right, I've got to get my mind right, I've got to get my spirit right, because I'm going to your house today and I need clean ears where I can hear from you. So many of us come, our ears are full of wax, our hearts are full of sin, and we get through with the service and say, well, nothing happened, it's just another day at church. No, something happened, you just didn't hear it. We sweep it and we clean it, but you do not leave it empty. Sweep the house, you clean the house, don't leave it empty. The house is to be filled with the Word of God. When you clean the house, put away these two things, at least in this text, then you can receive. To receive means to approve of, to have conviction of something, to say, yes, that's true. It's the amen when someone is preaching a truth. It's the conviction and approval saying, amen, that's right, I agree, I receive that. To be open to, to accept something. I'll give you three negatives and a positive in Scripture of this word. negatives. The natural person does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They can't. Another one in Thessalonians, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, why were they perishing? Because they refused to receive the word of truth. And then another one, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom, like a child, will never enter it. And then in a positive sense, Acts 17, 11. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word. How did they receive it? With eagerness. They wanted it. Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. They received something out of the word. I know I already said it, but I'll say it again. In seminary, we're all in the same room. And I would leave some classes, the happiest person on the face of the earth, because I was hearing these things that nobody had ever taught me, and my heart was just happy. And in the same room, there were people that were just complaining because the syllabus was too hard and it was too much work. I'm like, you people are just dumb. This is all this good truth, and that's all you've got to say to this stuff. It's a sad condition. But as we think, how, how is the word to be received? He says here, once we clean these things out, put these things away, receive how? We receive with meekness, or the word humility. It's the exact opposite of pride and rebellion and anger. That opposite of that is humility. We make it even simpler. We just keep narrowing down to make it simple. The prepared worshiper is the one who comes to the preaching hour with a heart that says this. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I need a word. That's how we come to worship. What happens when the prepared preacher preaches? The word is implanted. That's so what it says. You receive the implanted word. The word is permanently planted in the heart of the person. I still remember there's so many sermons I remember from years gone by. It's why, because when they preach the word, it's just implanted down in my soul. I still remember Psalms 37.5 at the True Church Conference. I still remember that old man from Canada owning that verse. And it's just like he preached forever. It was just all good. It's things like it's just planted in me. That's what the word does when you receive it rightly. But the word is planted every week in this church. Every week. Sometimes it's planted on a path. Sometimes on a rocky ledge. Sometimes on a thorny terrain. But then there's sometimes it's planted in good soil. And where that good soil is, and that word's implanted, you guessed it, there's fruit. 30, 60, and 100 starts producing because that word is there, planted in that good soil. If you want life to be full with abundant joy... (laughs) then you must be a prepared listener to the word of truth. Four things implied from this verse, just four quick statements, but four things from verse 21. Number one, a duty. You have a duty to receive the word. You'll be accountable for that. A prerequisite or a condition to carry out the duty. So if the duty is to receive the word, the prerequisite is to lay aside filthiness and evil. Thirdly, the manner in which the duty is to be performed is you do this duty with humility. You come teachable, ready to receive. Then there's an an incentive to its accomplishment. It stirs you to want the Word to be preached because you know the Word has the ability to save souls. And you want that people in the church, for yourself, so you desire that, it gives you this incentive that that would be accomplished in a church service. Lastly, it's just application, clear, logical application. You could make this list a billion different ways. These are just things that I've seen over the years of my life. If somebody would listen to them, yeah, you would uh, profit. But if you won't listen, I can't help you. Look, it's like this. We've got to get Festus in the sermon somehow. But if Festus goes to his food bowl and there's nothing in it, no matter what he did to prepare, he ain't eating. But if there's food in the bowl and he don't eat it, that's on him. So he can give you things, but if you don't partake of them, I can't help you. It's there. So I give you these things in 20, 30 years of ministry, how to prepare for receiving the word. They're just short statements, but they're large in, in, in benefit. And this is going to be cutting edge. I mean, I got this off Facebook and Twitter and TikTok. How to prepare to receive the word. Go to bed. For the life of me, people say, I stayed up to midnight last night. That's on you. Well, I stayed up to two in the morning. That's on you. I went to bed at 8 15. You went to bed, it's still daylight. I shut the blinds. Why did you do that? Because I wanted to be awake when I came to church. I wanted to be able to have conversation and be alive. I didn't want to look like a zombie like some people. I wanted to be fully refreshed with a full night's sleep. I wanted to jump up and say, today is the day of the Lord. I just went to bed. We didn't stay up watching TV. We didn't look at the internet. We didn't send no text. We didn't talk on no phone. We didn't play no little video games that little kids play. We scrapped it all. I mean, just laid down and went to bed. But I was ready today. I'm still awake. Now come 9 o'clock, I'm going to be done. Number two, turn off worldly things early on Saturday. This is what I know. Whatever it is that you spend the end of your day doing, that's what you'll think about when you lay down. And if it's all TV and Facebook and social media, that's all that's on your head. If you finish out your day reading the Bible and praying, and thinking about good theology and doctrine, you'll have much better thoughts when you lay down. Number three, read the Word, pray, sing, spend time with the Lord on Saturday night. It's one of my greatest benefits of all my life, is Saturday night we do family time different, and on family time on Saturday night, everybody prays, and we all pray for preparation for the Lord's day. Each person prays for the preacher the Sunday school teacher, for themselves, for brothers and sisters in Christ. It's always a special time to me. Number four, pray that God would speak to you through his word. Lord, please speak to me. Number five, confess your sins to the Lord. Put them off. Abandon them. Lord, help me. Give me the strength not to return to these things. Number six, there's only seven. Number six, come to worship having studied the upcoming passage. You say, well, I don't know when you're starting Acts or Proverbs. Well, just do what I'm doing. Just read the first chapter every day. Read the Proverbs 1. Read Acts chapter 1. Just keep reading it until I start. When I start, you'll know what we're talking about. I learned that in seminary as well. You go to class and you haven't read the book, about the time class is over, you start catching on. If you read the material before class, as they're talking, you're already in it because you already know what's coming. Number seven, It comes from the Lord's sermon, so it must be right. Come hungry, let the Lord fill you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I pray every day, every day, every Sunday for my sermon, and I pray the word preach. And I will get to the letter H and say a lot of things with H, but always say this. O Lord, that the people of By the Word Baptist Church would come hungry. For blessed are those who hunger, because they will be filled with righteousness. I don't want that to be you. I want you to be filled with righteousness, and you won't be filled with righteousness if you have anger because you're offended over the truth that was preached. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. There is no fault with your word. There's no fault with any of the theology that your word has shown us. Lord, help us to be a people that know something. Help us to be quick to listen. Help us to be slow to speak. Help us to be slow to anger. Lord, you've told us anger will not produce righteousness. So Lord, knowing these things, help us each and every week before we come to meet with you to put away filthiness, to put away evil, And that we would come with cleaned out hearts, ready, willing to receive the implanted word which is able to save our souls. We pray these things by your spirit. In Christ's name, amen.